0: Hello everyone, Federico Toledo speaking. I'm so excited to be here sharing with you the season finale of the Quality Sense podcast. We started a few years ago having conversations with different thought leaders and sharing with you their insights and and experience about software testing and delivering software products with quality. Getting to know more and better the people that influence how we test today. And yes, we are wrapping up the fourth season already. Time flies, I have the honor and pleasure to say that we had a great guest for our last episode of the season, I'm talking about someone with more than 25 years of experience in software testing, someone that has been Constantly sharing her knowledge and helping others, pushing to professionalize our discipline. Organizing conferences, meetups, giving hundreds of talks and keynotes, writing a lot, mentoring, researching in the field. What else? (laughs) Yes, I'm talking about Mare Jarvi. I'm so, so glad I had a chance to talk with her. She's amazing. As I said, she also has experience organizing conferences around the world. This was one of the topics we talked about. We also talked about exploratory testing, how to define it, the challenges of building trust around it with clients and more. I think most of the things I learned as a tester about exploratory testing was from her. Get comfortable and let's get into this last episode of the fourth season of the Quality Sense. I'd like to thank my team, Abstracta, for sponsoring and helping me to create this podcast. Abstracta is a company fully dedicated to software testing that can work with you to push the quality of your products and processes to the next level. Hello, Maret, How are you doing today?
1: I'm good, thanks, Fedde.
0: Welcome to the show. I'm really glad Tristan, our friend Tristan, uh, connected us, and we have the opportunity to be talking and sharing time with you today. Yep. So I, I I have to confess that I I watched many talks from you. I remember one one in 2018. I think in Chicago, you gave a talk in in Agile Testing Days. Is that correct? That Maybe that yes. was. Yeah, that was the first time I, I, I saw one of your talks, but also I watched many different conferences because you are a very active speaker. But this is the first time we have the chance to to speak. Uh, but I, I think there is a piece that I'm missing, which is how you ended up working in software testing. What brought you to, the, to this field? How you decided to, to work? In
1: testing. I didn't decide. Uh-huh. A real story. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm celebrating my silver jubilee 25 years in testing wow. this year uh, and 25 yeah. years ago, I had studied the Greek language and I had started my studies in computer science in a university and someone just put one and one together and decided that that's going to be, you know, perfect profile for for a tester can turn on a computer apparently and can read greek alphabets and i ended up testing the greek office back in those days and huh. starting from there i just stayed here uh, and i grew wherever i could interesting
0: interesting I, I haven't heard of even one person saying that they wanted to be a tester in most of the cases is by accident or by coincidence i would say And this is another example (laughs) of that, excellent. The first topic I wanted to to learn more about uh, your perspective is related to organizing testing conference, not only speaking at testing conference, but also organizing. What's your experience organizing conferences?
1: Yeah, I started organizing probably kind of like, uh, probably around 2000, uh, just for kind of like community things locally in Finland doing meetups and and wanting to kind of learn from from other people around me. And organizing was just a perfect way of, you know, finding people that you want to hear tell you how to do that thing. So I would contact them and ask them to speak. And and, and that was my way of of learning. And I ran the local Finnish testing community for over 10 years here. Uh, Then I decided that maybe Finland wasn't the only place I wanted to learn in and I started organising an international conference. I worked together with a developer, uh, Adi Bolvoaca from Romania. Uh, We kind of just got inspired uh, over some open space where we met, and uh, we talked about organising this testing conference that wasn't for testers, but it was about testing, so for developers, product owners, uh, testers, all of us getting together to talk about themes around uh, testing. And that's how European Testing Conference was born. So five years I spent on running European Testing Conference. That was kind of like an experiment. And I combined with European Testing Conference, I also combined a lot of themes around uh, making sure that we have developers and testers both represented, but also having uh, uh Genders represented, having uh, other aspects of diversity somehow represented. And I was trying to investigate if this whole pay to speak, basically the idea of uh, paying your speakers rather than making them pay their own travel so that they can speak on your stage, if that would somehow change the face of the conferences. So it was a whole experimentation platform for five years.
0: And now there is a a whole movement of people pushing to that idea of avoiding conferences that make you pay to speak, right?
1: Well, there's at least a conversation ongoing. Uh, I'm not doing too well myself on avoiding those conferences. I just make it visible that I join conferences sometimes that are pay to speak. And I would really like to see that change. But as an organizer of one of those conferences and having taken actually some of the risk and and some of the losses related to those risks, uh, I now believe that maybe the speakers don't have the full picture. Uh, of, of that in, in conference organizing. and while uh, having to pay to speak having to pay your own way to a conference where someone else makes money out of that, it feels a little unfair and it's not maybe the best uh, speakers for the audience that is paying. Uh, I believe that uh, there is actually less money to be made out of conferences uh, unless people are willing to pay significantly more than they nowadays are uh, for getting that learning in, in conferences.
0: Yeah, I understand what you mean. And also uh, it's important what you mentioned that uh, making that visible, because in many cases I, I consider the some situations where I decided to pay to go to a conference and to speak because it, it was convenient for me. Uh, but I made the decision and because I knew it was that way. So making that visible and having conversations about that, I think it's, it's better for everyone to to know what we are supporting or or why and uh, how we are attending a conference. Yeah,
1: cool. But also, it's kind of like uh, not all of us have that choice. Yeah, coming from a low income family, it's not like I felt like I always had that choice unless someone paid uh, or it was conveniently local so that I could just go without having to pay relevant amount of money, it was not really an option. So I think uh, we need to understand the the social dynamics a little bit more around the choices that we're making, because otherwise we end up just promoting basically the same people, usually the people already in a power position. And we lose some of the voices. Uh, Like I did one talk at some point saying that anything that I say should be kind of, you know, like, just don't take it, you know, probably whatever advice I have, it won't work for you because I have acquired so much status over the years. Like the cloud, the level of of status that I have is is quite high. So I can go and say to developers, like, you know, I'm not writing a bug report and Mm -hmm. and that's fine. But someone else doing that, they're likely to be escorted out of the building.
0: Yeah.
1: So just that realization is, is kind of important that we need to build that.
0: Yeah. And also, having the, the opportunity to co organize with some friends in Uruguay a conference with a very different um, business model, I would say, to, to make it sustainable. I was talking with you before the, the interview about this in our case in, in Latin America, and probably it's also related to the lower incomes uh, that you refer to, we, in our case, we always offer the conference free for attendance, but we uh, sustain the, the conference thanks to the sponsors, which is a different challenge. It's uh right. It's a different thing, but a different way to run a conference. But the advantage maybe in that case is that more people, especially what I can see in the conferences in Latin America, that it's that. Junior, there are more junior uh, people attending the conferences here in the states uh, in the conferences that i have attended typically you see people with more experience because they are already in the field and they have they they can earn enough in order to pay or they or maybe their companies uh, pay for for that but uh it's not the same in other places of the world so we have to find what's best for our our communities, for the communities where we are are running the conferences, right?
1: The big thing that I was trying to do uh, over uh, organizing conferences is this idea of finding speakers uh, in a way that uh, would be more inclusive, So first of all, I think it's ridiculous as a conference organizer looking at it nowadays that we are selecting speakers usually based on their writing. Writing and speaking are completely different skills. And yet we are selecting speakers based on what they wrote, kind of the the marketing material they were able to produce rather than the the contents and the experiences that the person really has and can bring to that stage. And is allowed to even share. And the other part is is that uh, we tend to repeat the same things. Definitely, there's many places where I can repeat the same message Uh, and it's a new audience, so it needs to be repeated. But also there's a lot of great content that never actually gets to be visible or we don't get to distribute it in the same way because we don't help the newbie speakers enough. So that's a dynamic that I really wanted to change as an organizer.
0: You know, uh, apart from the from the conference, what we found interesting, I I think you mentioned that you run a similar thing there in Finland, but uh, having meetups as a safer space, like uh, fewer people and maybe you can have more frequency a meetup every month so you can bring more speakers and you get to know them and you give them the opportunity to rehearse their uh, speaking skills, right? So in in our case, it was like a, a way to give the stage to new people and then invite them to participate of the annual conference because we already knew how they perform speaking in front of a smaller group and how they spoke. Um, yeah, Is there anything you see missing in testing conferences today?
1: I think we are still speaking too much from the tester's perspective and not enough from the testing perspective. So uh, in this world right now, I feel like product owners are the new test managers. And we don't see product owners in testing conferences. Uh, developers do a lot more testing than, than they used to. And they are a very, very small minority in any conferences with testing topics. It's a growing minority, but it's still a minority. So I feel like um, uh, maybe the missing part is somehow the intersection of, of how widely testing actually impacts organizations and how different people look at it from, well, whatever positions they hold.
0: I've heard many times things like uh, testing is not sexy enough to bring (laughs) those uh, other roles interested in the, in the, in the topic. So do you have any strategy to make the topic or the conference more appealing to developers, product owners, or someone else?
1: So I don't know if it is that it's, it's not interesting enough or, uh, lucrative enough maybe it's more about what kind of things around testing we talk on on there so Mm -hmm. practical cases how we do things examples especially uh, from uh, real companies doing testing are generally a lot more interesting than uh, somebody telling that they read a book and now they think that uh, testing is somehow connected to whatever they read last And and we have this kind of like, um, well, we have many different brands or different types of talks that we usually stage in conferences and, and making choices on those. Probably would help us uh, bring a more equal crowd. But then again, I also like the fact that we've always had these, like, you know, safe corners for testers where we can go and say that we're sometimes having trouble being so alone and being so different. And it's so refreshing to be able to be with people who know what that feels like when you have to always kind of hold back on the joy that you get on the bug that you found because the other ones actually they don't get the same joy out of that bug the bug is more of a nuisance so so you're always filtering your everyday is that filtering and it's just going on a community that allows you to to show you know your true emotions in a way <laughs> uh, you also need that so maybe it's more of of uh, we need these breaching places but we also need those those corners where it's okay for us to be kind of you know Amongst same kind of same kind of thinker, thinkers, so in that bubble which uh, gives us the energy of of again, you know, trying to constructively take things further.
0: Yeah, maybe attending different type of conferences with different goals in mind. One is to feel safer and to share these emotions and these uh, experiences more from what we do every day. And in other conference, maybe is learning and empathizing with other roles, like okay, this is how a developer presents their their uh, learnings, or this is what they are worried about, or I don't know. Uh, but at, at the end of the day, we can get a lot of benefits from also as, as a tester to attending different type of conferences as well, right?
1: Yeah, definitely. I've i haven't been only to testing conferences and i don't talk about testing only in testing conferences so i've at least already had the chance of going around but i'd say like that for a typical professional it's not like you get to go to multiple conferences a year if you get to go to one every five years that's already quite good, actually. Not everyone gets to go uh, continuously. Well, free conferences, online things, on your own time, definitely, or even at the company hours, if it's, you know, sometimes a couple of hours here and there, and it's a a well-built story and not an expensive one, definitely get to go. But. Uh, it's not like we get to choose tens of conferences so that we get all the different dimensions. So whenever we go to one, that's actually where we're looking for those bridges, and 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 the conferences are the places where we build those human-to-human relationships usually, especially between speakers. Uh, some of the developer speakers that I I work with or well organize conferences even with, I've met them in other conferences, mm-hmm. and those breaches, uh, the organizers need to be intentional about those.
0: Interesting. Very interesting. Right. Mar- Mar- another topic I wanted to cover with you. It's uh, one of the things that I know in those almost 25 years, you have been researching a lot and sharing a lot, which is exploratory testing. And maybe to start helping the audience to level up and having the same idea, how do you define exploratory testing or how you explain it?
1: I've been really looking for the right way of explaining it because it's not an easy thing to do. Uh, Definitely the core of it is learning. So uh, whatever you are doing right now and you're learning from it, it has an impact on whatever you're doing next. And other than that, uh, what you're focusing on is results. So what I nowadays try to explain it as is that there's this kind of like results gap. Thinking in perspective of an organization, there's a certain level of results we want from our testing activities, be them testing before production or testing while in production. We want to have certain level of information, knowledge, actionable information about quality and and whatever is going on in the organization. And uh, then there's the gap. There's a gap between what we'd like to have or what we would need to have and what we actually have. And that gap is completely invisible. Sometimes it's very small and and exploratory testing is just kind of going that extra mile, like especially Agile makes these promises of, you know, other mechanisms than exploratory testing, where we are really carefully in small scale designing continuously in a particular way. And that gap would be smaller, but there still is that gap of uncertainty. And uh, exploratory testing is trying to get to that gap. In some organizations, it's a really big gap. And others, it's a very small gap, uh, but it almost always exists, I would say.
0: In many cases, when we were trying, you know, when we were working uh, for a customer, mainly when it's a new company and they don't know us yet as well, and maybe we are building the trust, right? many cases when we explain that our preferred approach for this particular case is uh, having an exploratory testing approach they will miss the control the the coverage or how you know you tested enough right is that something that you also face when you are mainly in that stage where you are building the trust
1: yeah, I do face that a lot. Uh, to some extent, uh, well, the older or more senior I get in this industry, the less I have to struggle with that. It's just saying, trust me, nowadays works. But I've had to deal with that a lot of times over the, the 25 years. Uh, I remember this one particular organization where there was a project manager who just didn't feel like this thing was work that anyone would do voluntarily. So if I said I'm going to do exploratory testing, it must mean that I'm having coffee because no one would test if they are in their right mind. That was the the mindset. And what I did for about a week is is that I wrote really detailed notes and and visualized, kind of like organized and visualized my notes in particular kind of exploratory typical structures that that, uh, we create. And I created so much material that it would have taken him more than a week to read it like the results of my week of work it was like a high level picture but also the details of everything that i thought while i was testing and uh well that particular project manager never asked me again uh for doing any other style of testing so sometimes by by means of experimentation showing kind of like on a on a short term contract like i can i show you how i would do this and making it really uh visual and and just creating some kind of an outline for that coverage as well. You can measure against requirements. You can measure against code. if you, Especially if you write automation on a unit level, you can run it against code coverage as well. Uh, you have those mechanisms of making it visible what you're doing and creating that trust by, by visibility is kind of the, the way to go
0: creating the trust by visibility, I really like it. Another thing that typically is like, I would say a a blocker or or something that people repeat a lot of times related to exploratory testing is that we need an expert to do it. Uh, For a junior tester, it's much better to follow the scripted approach because we are telling you what to do and you just Get the script and go through all the steps and report the results. What what do you think about it?
1: I had a fifteen year old in one of my jobs, and uh, uh, I was trying to get them to do exploratory testing. And then their dad, who was a developer in the same company, interjected and required scripted approach. Uh, it didn't last very long before I corrected them again. But we got this like a moment of, of the two things side by side, kind of like during short time frame in a very early career stage. And their results uh, might make an appearance of progress on the scripted approach, but their results were not worth much in that style, whereas in exploratory style where we would regularly get around the whiteboard and and make sure that he had learned about the application and had a better sense of what is meaningful out of those results. Uh, he grew a lot faster that way. So I personally think that no matter how many years you have, you're better off learning. Uh, than trying to just follow somebody else's instructions.
0: It is more like a, a waterfallish approach to testing. It's like if there is someone uh, designing the test cases, then someone running, and the learning maybe it's at the end, and in the exploratory is like a shorter iterations for that learning to happen, or something like this.
1: It might be that. And it's also kind of like the idea that, you know, even if it's you yourself that earlier wrote those scripts, if you repeat the same scripts, it's like you're walking on that minefield on somebody else's footsteps. And since somebody was planting new mines somewhere, your previous footsteps might be a good, you know, place to look at, but you might actually want to just, you know, intentionally take steps just a little bit sideways. And, and with the same amount of time invested, do something more than you could do if you just followed the same same footsteps. So in order to try to save time, we sometimes take a lot of the value out of the the activity. And it's always a balance on how much we document, what's helpful in remembering, but usually leaving it to a level where people have agency. They have to decide themselves on what they're learning and what they do with the information they're acquiring. Uh, It creates better results.
0: Amazing. Quality Sense Podcast, where you will have the chance to improve your sense for quality by listening to some leaders who are amazing at what they do in the software industry. So the other other question I have for you related to exploratory testing and uh, an article I really liked that I referenced recently in one of my talks. It was more related to the automation approach, related to the famous or infamous testing pyramid. And uh, you you were mentioning something like, or this is at at least what I understood, uh, that instead of considering the exploratory testing as a cloud on the top of the pyramid, we should or we could take an approach, uh, an exploratory testing mindset in each of the layers we could ap- apply that approach or that mindset even at the when we are designing or running unit tests or uh, api tests so i would like uh, i would really like if you can uh, expand on, on that idea a little bit
1: yeah, it's definitely been one of my pet peeves, this whole idea of the cloud on top. and I've been trying to get certain people to stop drawing it as a cloud on top because it's like a cloud hovering over every single layer. and sometimes it's 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 uh, kind of like uh, overlaying more than half of it, depending on how much of a learning mindset your team otherwise has. So the more strictly you follow somebody else's plan, the more you're relying on the exploratory testing, bringing that learning mindset into it. And some agile teams are really good at the learning mindset already, even in in like a traditional TDD, which is a little bit different thing. So I've been doing on conference stages, I've been doing uh, presentations on uh, doing this on on API level, uh, doing this on unit testing level. And uh, one of the most recent exercises that I've been building in the last couple of weeks is is one where we use uh, GitHub Copilot as the programmer uh, in a pair, like well, actually a trio because. That's the third person in this this pair or group ensemble. And uh, he writes all the code and we're supposed to do all of the testing and and then doing exploratory testing to figure out if whatever the co-pilot created for us was worthwhile. And uh, if there is something that is actually missing in order for us to build the right solution uh, with uh, our, you know, a co-pilot, this is an AI that writes you code, or it looks like a search engine that searches bits and pieces of code somewhere. But still kind of like figuring out whether that works and, and whether it's the right solution for your problem, whatever the code is that you end up with. Uh, it's a bigger part of, of the, the future than, than what we maybe have thought about.
0: I'm really curious about how would you explain the coverage that you are getting by doing that that experimentation? How big is the gap of information that you have, Uh, as you were explaining before, right? Because as we are talking about machine learning and algorithm writing code automatically, so the possibilities are are endless, right?
1: Yeah, but also we are writing kind of small pieces at a time usually. Uh, it's it's a very specific uh, algorithm that we're generating for a particular purpose or a very specific program that we are creating for a particular purpose. Then the question is about, do we really understand the problem? The problem that I've been now playing with is uh, Roman numerals. And it's interesting. I had this one uh, guy from Spain that I was, was pairing with and he was like, oh, I am a total you know domain expert on this one. They teach us roman numerals in school. And, and he was impressive, like, uh, given a number, uh, he could just turn that into roman numerals without a reference, seriously, he oh. could, and I could not. And I like, wow, that's awesome. But then we discovered that uh, there's numbers that are above certain limit and uh, that you can actually also handle that the school system never taught. But there's information online. Uh, there's fractions that can be handled, which again, the school system never taught him. So he was a domain expert in a certain way. Also, we discovered there's five different ways of generating Roman numerals, five different rule sets, so to speak, in Excel as a reference. So looking for kind of like, we we went through this kind of like five uh, layers of oracles from works as implemented to works as we thought it should, works as we thought it should and actually we went and did some research to uh, also kind of like having reference implementations to having also error cases handled. We we went through all of this in in an hour, and it's 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 kind of an interesting thing because uh, what I've learned over the years from research basically is that uh, we kind of in hindsight, if we look at production bugs, the bugs that escaped to production if we look at them and and we create a fix and then we think of how we could test them over 90% of them could be reproduced by a unit test so i think that's one part of the gap that we're trying to actually get to on the unit level so that we could get to that 90% level rather than having to find it all on the on the higher higher layers so getting to that you know small scale and and doing careful work on that smaller scale and leaving behind some kind of artifacts that help us also maintain that level when we're making quick changes. I think that's a a big thing that we need to learn to do better in the in the future. But it's never just unit testing, uh, because not all bugs can be found with unit level approaches. So we also need the other layers.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And now I, I'm, I'm thinking about the problem because you, you, you say it's important to define the problem and to understand what you, you're trying to improve. Were you trying to improve the, uh, the specific unit to generate the Roman numbers? Because you, that was generated by an autonomous uh, assistant, right? That probably is being used by so many developers at the same time. How can we contribute to that? If you find a a bug in that particular case, you can solve it in your generated code. How can you get that learning back to the source? So other developers using the same assistant can also improve because I'm thinking about a, a very uh, by a future where we are using an assistant that is introducing bugs everywhere and nobody's giving feedback to that <laughs> algorithm, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, and it is really then, uh, well, multiplying uh, the bugs. And again, Roman numerals is a, it's an easy kind of like a play example in the sense that uh, there's definitely a lot of openly available solutions. So I could just Google for some of those solutions and test them as well. But they very often actually come without tests. So they are not delivered with tests necessarily. Or some of them are delivered with TDD style tests that might still not do a very good job on on even covering the the scenarios that we might want to cover on the unit level.
0: Yeah, it's it's the same case than copying and pasting uh, buggy code from some repository uh, in the internet, right? And maybe adding more effort to the unit level as you were mentioning can help us as an industry to do better in the future right
1: yeah it probably would
0: cool i have a, a very generic uh, question to try to wrap up this uh, part of the interview which is from your experience what's the most effective ingredient for a successful testing strategy
1: I've been trying to figure out for years what the strategy really is, and I'm not sure if I understand that uh, in in practical terms, at least. Like In a way, I think of strategy as kind of the ideas that drive our test designs. So whether it's uh, the ideas that drive our automation on how we would do automation, or how we do all kinds of testing, kind of all exploratory testing that also includes automation for me. Uh, for me kind of like the way that I've learned to do a strategy is uh, kind of look at the, the risks of the product and think in terms of those risks and how I would test to find them but I see a lot of strategies that people write that are more about process descriptions or working agreements which I don't think are necessarily strategic thinking as such and uh my rule of thumb over the years has been that if the same strategy works on two different products it's probably not specific enough Hmm. because there's a reason why two products are separate and it's usually not Hmm. just that we want to build it twice in the same organization so we probably want to figure out somehow uh, what's the core of that product and how the risks for that specific product kind of show up in 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 the way we would test
0: So probably one of the things that we have to realize is what's the specific things that apply to this context, to this project, that are different from the previous project that I was working on.
1: So I'm not even sure if it is about the context. Like we've been talking about context-driven testing for years now, and and we kind of like have this idea that uh, there's somehow contexts are different. But actually what we're saying is people are different. And some people today with their today's capabilities are able to do certain things and they are not able to do other things. So is, is it then strategy that we say that, okay, we'll, you know we'll accept that the 15 year old doesn't yet know how to program. Is that a strategic thing? Or is it just more like uh, just facing whatever are the facts of today? And, and the strategic thinking is more on kind of like we are growing our competencies towards something else in the future. So uh, I find that uh, thinking in terms of strategy hasn't really helped me. Thinking in terms of short term, long term has helped me uh, thinking in terms of. Uh, Uh, growing individuals and uh, benefiting uh, on group level, the the skills of today in a group that has helped me and appreciation of of the good things we are capable of doing today, even though they are not perfect, that has helped me a lot. So a lot of times I go to an organization and uh, I'm like, oh my God, like this is so bad. Like this is so awful. And then I need to ground myself in saying that actually, they've been able to make releases on some kind of a fairly regular cadence, maybe with more pain than I would like to be, you know, enduring myself, maybe not in ways that I think this group is already capable of. But looking at what they're doing, they are, as a matter of fact, not capable of doing those before someone injects those ideas in. So so kind of moving teams rather than thinking in terms of, of a strategy that we're right now applying, uh, creating working contracts, just replacing that word in its entirety, if possible, is, is what I would advise people to consider. Because we've made it kind of like a, almost like a template that we're trying to apply on everything. And then we layer the context, uh, making it fuzzy enough not to be practical anymore. So if I create a strategy, it's about kind of what's the product? What are the risks of the product and how would I test? What are the specific testing activities that I need to have in order uh, to address those risks that I identified? And I usually do that in an exploratory style, which means I don't do it before I tested, it's an outcome of the testing I did. It might be a midway outcome but it is not starting the testing. It is uh, a continuous description that is finalized when I'm done with testing rather than the other way around.
0: And as I understand from what you just said, uh, understanding those things can help you understand the needs, uh, the skills that you need in your team and accommodating or preparing or helping the people to get those skills if they don't have them. That's Yeah, one of the key things for success, right?
1: Yeah, and we're always kind of like, we're balancing uh, our efforts today between uh, being individual contributors who are productive and then being people who are making others better by being generative, kind of like generating better individual contributions. And we're balancing uh, the short-term kind of benefits today and the long-term benefits in a year or two. So we're always balancing, like... I like I see in front of my eyes, like four different areas, and I'm always trying to do all four of them. Maybe that's how I think of strategy nowadays, that I want to make sure that we're ready for the future, but I also want to very much live in in, in today, both on an individual and on a team level.
0: So with those quadrants, you can plan different activities and different things in order to move your team Forward, right?
1: Yes. And again, I also can make sure that uh, it's not just kind of like, you know, one quadrant isn't one person's job, but everyone gets to be a little bit in all of the quadrants, because that's how we grow when we learn to actually cover all four quadrants on an individual level. Uh, that's probably going to help us as grow as professionals. I
0: really like how you connect uh, quality strategy and everything also. Paying attention to how your team and your indi- the the individuals in that team are also growing. This is uh, this is amazing an amazing way of uh, considering all the corners of our job, right? And our responsibilities. Thank you for that, But I One final final question for you: If you have to recommend a book, it could be about software testing or any any other topic you like. Uh, which one would that be?
1: This is a really difficult question in the sense that uh, uh, there's kind of like a couple of categories of books that I would generally go and recommend. Uh, the new book from Christine Jackfoni uh, on on the complete software tester, I would definitely recommend that as a, a good overview on on what's going on in testing. But it doesn't really help me at this point. Whereas uh, if I would read a book, uh, well, when I do read a book, I'm still going back to Kem Kaner's uh, testing computer software, even though it's older, it really well kind of uh, describes the difference in in the mindset uh, on the product companies and the exploratory testing style and and still drills in quite deep, even if some of the the bugs that are maybe presented are a little bit old fashioned there nowadays. And... uh, if uh, I'm looking more on the, the, the kind of human side, uh, then uh, Crucial Conversations is an absolute read for any professional. So learning to uh, tell people what you think, what you want, what you need and help them go forward uh, when it matters and knowing when it matters. Like that should be the number one book for any tester.
0: Interesting, interesting and, and making notes and I will share also the links to the, the books in the episode notes. But I thank you so much for your time and all your, your knowledge and everything you share. Uh, I really appreciate your experience and, and having the, the opportunity to talk with you. Is there anything else you, you would like to invite our audience to, to do or reach out or anything?
1: Oh, I'm always on Twitter. So that's where all of the stuff that I generally share is available. So please follow me on Twitter, uh, Maretp. M-A-A-R-E-T-P is my my handle. And I'm always happy to talk about testing. So that's the invite.
0: Amazing. Thank you again so much. And uh, have a great, great rest of the day. Thank you. (laughs) Bye-bye. I hope your sense for quality got better after this conversation. Thank you so much for listening and please subscribe to Quality Sense Podcast. Tell your friends, your family, your colleagues or whoever you think can benefit from listening to it. I hope to see you soon. Adios, amigos.